Our scripture lesson comes from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. But first, let us pray. God of light and love, reveal your presence to us this day. Send your spirit to illumine these ancient words that they would guide us along our journey for all the days to come. Amen. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as bright as light. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here if you wish. I will set up three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. I am guessing that by now, most of you, if not all of you, who are here in the sanctuary have noticed there are two different bulletin covers. And those of you who are joining us online, you can see both images side by side right about now, if technology is cooperating with our live stream wizards. The same artist created both images. The first is a painted icon of the transfiguration. If the image on your bulletin looks more or less normal, will you have that one? And if the image in the bulletin in your hands looks like a neon rainbow exploded on top of it, will you have the second one, glitch transfiguration? The artist Kelly Lattimore painted the original as a commissioned piece for a congregation. Later, he was showing it to his nephew in some sort of electronic format, and the screen glitched briefly. You know those moments when the picture on the screen pixelates or distorts a bit and the colors intensify, and for a moment, or maybe two, you're not even entirely sure what you're looking at. Kelly's screen glitched like that, and it inspired him to paint a second transfiguration piece, capturing that moment. But even if you're looking at the normal image he first painted, there's nothing normal about this story. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John high up on a mountain, and his face starts shining like the sun, 
Scripture tells us, and his clothes became bright as light. Then for good measure, all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are there having a conversation with Jesus. And yes, that Moses and that Elijah from the Old Testament, two people who perhaps more than any other represent the law and the prophets. Two others who were reported to have seen the face of God in all its glory and lived to tell about it, but also two others who hadn't been alive on this earth for well, a good while now. So Jesus is glowing and talking to dead people, and Peter's response is, this seems good. This is good. We should stay here where things like this happen, which means that whatever else, however you want to interpret it, if you break this short story apart moment by moment, in that moment, the disciples weren't afraid. Not yet. That's going to change in about half of a heartbeat. But for that glimmer of time, something is so compelling and so reassuring, it's all Peter can see. And he's ready to set up the tents and send out a change of address notification because of it. Now, whenever scripture is particularly puzzling, I find it helpful to look at what happens before and after and consider where in the larger story it fits. So just as a reminder for you, right before the transfiguration, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is asked to show the authorities a sign from heaven, and he declines, saying something about how they wouldn't recognize it if they saw it anyways. That went over well. He journeys with his disciples again, and they completely misunderstand what he tries to teach them. Peter has a good day. He recognizes Jesus as Messiah, but he follows it up with a really bad day, contradicting Jesus so much, Jesus finally calls him a hindrance. And all of this leads to some of Jesus' hardest words about how anyone who wants to follow him will have to take up their own cross to do so and might even lose their own lives along the way. Right after the transfiguration, Jesus tells the disciples, even as they are descending the mountain, that there will be suffering. And right after that, they come to a crowd where a man is suffering. And Jesus is told that the other disciples who didn't travel with him, they tried to heal him, but they weren't able. So Jesus steps in and heals the man and then tells the disciples in a side conversation that it would help them if they could just have a little more faith. And then he tells them again that the cross is coming and he will lose his own life. So in other words, on either side of the transfiguration, we have a picture of discipleship that is rough at best. On both sides, we see people trying and failing to understand Jesus and follow his teachings, and we see constant reminders that this life will not be without hardship and suffering. But smack in the middle of that, Jesus is shining like the sun 
his clothes as bright as light. Smack in the middle of the challenges and complexities of daily living, there is radiance. Smack in the middle, between the incarnation and the resurrection, there is transfiguration. And thank God for that. Incarnation, the birth of Christ, that is when the light of the world emerges from the darkness of the womb. And resurrection, the raising of Christ, that is when the light of the world emerges from the darkness of the tomb. And those are our best days. The transfiguration, though, is for all the other days. All the in-between days, when there is nothing to emerge out of, you're just stuck in the middle of it. The march of the long, long middle when weeks pile up and not enough changes, or months pile up and too much changes. Right there, even there, the light of the world breaks through. And for a moment, even if just for a moment, half of a breath, we are not afraid. And we have reason to believe that we're going to make it after all. Lillian Daniel is a pastor in Chicago. She wrote a book about her first years in ministry. One evening meeting began with a discussion about serving a meal at the local homeless shelter. Except, she writes, the long, passionate discussion was not about the practice of hospitality or homelessness as a systemic evil. It was about the correct recipe for chili mac. It was 45 minutes about large cans of chili versus small cans, and which was the better deal. Minute 50 was about whether to buy grated cheese or do the grating themselves. And at minute 51, she writes, I lost my religion. I lost my eschatology. I lost everything I'd ever believed in when the clerk asked, can we back up a minute? Did we decide on grated cheese or not? I need it for the minutes. You're laughing because you recognize this moment. But then one of them said, I'd really hate to be homeless on a night like tonight. And everybody paused. And pens were put down, and it was quiet enough that they could hear each other breathe. And she said it was just one minute out of 52 but she said all eternity was caught up in it. And right then, for just a moment, everything changed because the discussion in that moment was not about the ingredients of a recipe, but about the people who would be eating it. Even in the midst of the mundane, the light of the world can break through. My friend Sarah is a pastor in Virginia, and like me, she spent time as a chaplain in a children's hospital. She was working on the pediatric oncology ward when she met an eight-year-old named Samantha. Samantha was adorable, and she had osteosarcoma, 
cancer in her bones. She'd lost all her hair from her treatment, and she was a long-term patient, spending countless days inside those stark walls. In most of them, she felt pretty lousy. But one time, Sarah says, she stopped by her room, and Samantha had a box full of markers dumped out all over her bed, and she was drawing on her bald little head long, luxurious hair that was the color of the rainbow, hair like no one on earth could ever dye it. And she was laughing, and she was laughing so hard she snorted, which made her mother laugh, and her mother's laugh made her laugh even harder, and it was a moment of deep and sacred silliness. They paused to take a picture, and in the picture, there wasn't much light in the room, but even still, Sarah says, Samantha was shining like the sun. Even in the midst of heartbreak, the light of the world can break through. And as you know, earlier this week, yet another episode of gun violence ripped through yet another college campus, Michigan State University. Yesterday, Michigan State faced off against Michigan in a men's basketball game. Now, some of you might remember that I have lived and worked in Ann Arbor, home of the University of Michigan, so I have experienced that rivalry. Michigan State's colors are green and white, Michigan's are maize and blue. And so deep is the usual animosity between campuses that during the week of a Michigan-Michigan State home game, downtown restaurants in Ann Arbor put signs in the windows that say everything green is off the menu, (laughs) which is unfortunate and incredibly unhealthy. But in the fall, it escalated much further than that. And charges ended up filed after the result of a fight between the two teams after a football game. And I say all of this not to endorse it, but simply to communicate the depth of emotion that is usually found between these two teams. But yesterday, five days after the world stood still in East Lansing, the arena in Ann Arbor was green. Michigan fans held up signs that read Spartan Strong, and players warmed up in shirts that read Michigan Basketball Stands with MSU. And right before the game, the announcer said, tonight, all of Michigan is one. Even in the midst of trauma and grief, even if just in the smallest ways that barely break the surface for even the briefest of moments. The light of the world can break through and show us a different way of seeing and being. Because there are moments in this life when monotony is overthrown and fear is vanquished and evil is silenced and despair is overcome. There are these moments. They may be brief. They may seem like a bright glitch in an otherwise gloomy world. But these moments are there. And any time 
that sort of light breaks through. It is the transfiguration. It is a moment when God chooses to speak a strong, steady, radiant world word that while the world may be broken, it is also beautiful. It is a moment that reassures us God has not given up on us or left us alone. It's a moment that soon enough will carry Jesus all the way through the hardest moments of his life. So if we let it, it'll do the same for us. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.